Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Will you turn with me to Psalm 116? And uh, we'll study tonight what is the fourth of the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. These are those songs that were sung at the celebration of Passover. So they're songs that praise the Lord for his deliverance of his people out of slavery in Egypt and into relationship with him. Uh, As I mentioned during our study of the first three, there's a very high likelihood that Jesus sang this song uh, at that Last Supper Passover celebration. As far as genre goes, it'll be clear in a moment when we read it, this is a Thanksgiving psalm, but also probably would fit in a messianic category. Uh, As Jesus sang these words that night, Uh, There are phrases here in Psalm 116 that would have been particularly meaningful, probably even encouraging to him as he headed to the cross. If you're there, let's read it now. Psalm 116, we'll read it and pray before we study verse by verse. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. The sorrows of death encompassed me, and the pains of hell got hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. But then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserveth the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death, mine eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore have I spoken. I was greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. What shall I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of thee, O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for this psalm that you've given to us here. Lord, I thank you for all of these songs that we've been going through for a couple of years now. And um, in this particular one, God, what an encouragement it is to uh, know that you're a God who hears prayer, that you want us to come to you with our our cries for help. And, And more than that, you're a God who answers prayer. We're reminded of that here in this song. And then, um, Lord, in your grace, thank you for telling us what it is you want us to do uh, in return for the redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ. Show us that this evening, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, first four verses 
give a prayer request. Um, before that happens, verse 1, there's a declaration. I love the Lord. I think that's the only psalm that begins that way. But what a great way to start a song. What a great declaration, isn't it? I love the Lord. And um, then we're told why the psalmist loves the Lord. It says, because he has heard my voice and my supplications, because he's inclined his ear unto me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. And that's a key message here, a key theme in this psalm. It's going to be repeated at least two more times. The psalmist here, he's testified, first of all, that he loves the Lord. And then one of the reasons that he loves the Lord is because God hears and answers his prayers. That's who our God is, right? And that's why we opened up our service the way we did, bringing our concerns before him. Uh, in fact, the psalmist has such faith in the power of prayer that he closes verse 2 with a commitment to always value that wonderful gift of God's grace that prayer is for us. He's going to call upon the Lord as long as he lives. And he says it later on in the song as well. And we get some of the content of the prayer request in verse 3. It says, the sorrows of death, they've compassed me, meaning they've surrounded me. Uh, in the King James here, the pains of hell got hold of me. The Hebrew word sheol or the grave, it might say in your Bible. It says, I found trouble and sorrow. He's in a bad way, isn't he? I mean, it's serious uh, in the short description, uh, the content of his prayer request. Uh, but the psalmist describes some serious problems that he pleads that God would deliver him from. He was close to death. The grave. Uh, his circumstances were that terrible. In Old Testament poetry, like the Psalms, uh, death or, or Sheol or the grave, they're always pictured as being very uh, aggressive, as pursuing uh, a person, attempting to clutch man with sickness and despair. Uh, Peter actually quoted this verse in his Day of Pentecost sermon in Acts chapter 2, but he did so to describe the danger uh, from which God delivered Jesus Christ through his resurrection. The idea here in verse 3 that is that death was very near. It was trying to overpower. It was trying uh, to surround the psalmist. And what did he do? What are we to do should we ever find ourselves in a similar situation? Verse 4, then called I upon the name of the Lord. This is what he said. I beseech thee, deliver my soul, Lord. There's no better person to turn to for help in such a situation, is there? Going directly to God, the one who created you? The one who woke you up this morning, uh, the one who sustains you, he's giving you your next breath that you're going to inhale here in a second, keeps your heart beating, go to him with your plea for deliverance and help. That is what God's people did in Egypt. And God heard their cries of deliver, for deliverance and help. That is... Uh, Evidence that God came through and he delivered them. He redeemed them and he's the same God. He does the same thing for you and I. <clears throat> Let's look at the prayer response. So that was prayer request, verses 5 through 11. God responded to the psalmist's prayer request. That's the testimony here in verses 5 through 11. It was a testimony in the opening verse of this song. Verse 5 reminds us, Gracious is the Lord and righteous, yea, our God is merciful. God's gracious. He gives us what we do not deserve. God's also merciful. He does not give us what we do deserve. And he's both of those things for us in Jesus Christ. Our God is righteous. And he can be gracious. He can be merciful to us because 
of who Jesus is and what he did for us. That's going to be expanded here later on in the song. Verse 6 contains a wonderful truth and promise. It says, the Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he helped me. And isn't it a blessing that it's not the high and mighty by human standards who they alone have access to the Lord in prayer and access to his deliverance? No, God preserves the simple. And it says here, meaning those who are sincere, plain-hearted persons. Our God helps those who are brought low. I want you to think about it. That, that evening that Jesus was born, who does scripture record as the recipients of the angelic announcement of his birth? It's lowly shepherds, wasn't it? And when Jesus called some disciples to follow him, did he go to the top rabbinical schools in Jerusalem? No, he walked by the seashore, the fishermen tax collectors. He said, come and follow me. The Lord preserves the simple. He helps those who are brought low. Verse 7 has a psalmist speaking to himself. And I've mentioned this before uh, because we've come across other scripture passages that tell us to do this, even here in the Psalms. But we ought to be speaking to ourselves a lot more than we listen to ourselves. Probably one of our greatest problems in having faith in the Lord is that we listen to ourselves way more than we speak to ourselves. He says, return unto thy rest, O my soul. That's what the psalmist says to himself here. He's prayed for deliverance. He's placed his faith in the Lord for deliverance. He's actually now experienced God's deliverance. And because of God's deliverance, now he can reflect on a God who has dealt bountifully with him. Spurgeon notes that the Hebrew word for rest here is plural, uh, meaning that this is a complete, the kind of rest God gives you, it's a complete rest. It's a, an entire rest at all times, in every circumstance. We have a God who desires to hear our prayers. We've got a God who answers our prayers always in a way that's best for us. We have a God who is our deliverer, our redeemer. Spurgeon also said, whenever a child of God, even for a moment, loses his peace of mind, he should be concerned to find it again quickly. Nothing else is more important than that peace, that trust in the Lord, and we should never try to find it by seeking it in the world or in our own strength or in our own experience, but in the Lord alone. I have to tell you, that has been my great effort lately. When I find a, a sense of peace diminishing, when I feel like anxiety is beginning to take hold, I go to that great promise we have in Isaiah 26.3 that God will keep a person in perfect peace, perfect peace, whose mind has stayed on the Lord because he trusts in the Lord. I go to that verse and I claim it and I obey that promise. I focus my attention on who God is, what God's done, what God's promised. I fix my mind on the Lord. I concentrate on who he says he is for me in his word. I uh, remember what he has done for his people. It usually jogs my memory about what he has done for me in the past. And I meditate on what he's promised to those who are his. And I don't stop until peace returns and worry weakens. I saw a meme a while back. It just makes me laugh. Anytime I start getting riled up and a little anxious, uh, it said, really anxiety is nothing more than conspiracy theories about yourself. I was like, that's really true in a very profound way. And so I go to Isaiah 26.3. You will keep in perfect peace. He whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. Like me, you may need to speak to yourself. Return unto thy rest, O my soul. The Lord's dealt bountifully with you. 
I'm sure that's a testimony of every person in the sanctuary tonight. The rest provided by God is complete because God's deliverance is complete. Let's look at verse 8. <clears throat> all those dangerous, all those deadly problems, whatever they were, we didn't get real specific in verse 3. Um, he summarized them back there. But he now testifies of deliverance from them. And he praises God for his response to his prayer. It says, for thou hast delivered my soul from death. That's where I was headed. That's what I was worried about. You've delivered my soul from death. You even went beyond that. You delivered my eyes from tears and my feet from falling. I've been redeemed. I've been saved. Recognizing God's great deliverance of him from death. In verse 9, he rejoices. I'm going to walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Meaning God has given me more time here on this earth. And I'm going to be committed from here on out to honor the Lord with such a gracious gift. Verses 10 and 11. The psalmist concludes his testimony of going to the Lord in prayer and God answering that prayer. He says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. I was greatly afflicted. He was. I said in my haste, all men are liars. It seems that the psalmist had turned to friends for some help in his great trouble. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. That's one of the graces we have in the church of Jesus Christ. But uh, these friends didn't come through for him. Or maybe he didn't turn to them for help. But nevertheless, he felt abandoned. And again, the messianic tones are here. Because we know Jesus experienced this very same thing. Uh, once he was arrested, his disciples immediately fled in fear. And quoting Zechariah 13, 7, Jesus said in Matthew 26, 31, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I'll strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. All of that last supper bravado from the disciples. Uh, We're going to follow you even to the death, Jesus. That all never really materialized. And so we've seen the testimony of a prayer request offered. And so far we've seen a prayer request answered, but the rest of Psalm 116, verses 12 to 19, it deals with the praise returned. And I got to tell you, verses 12 and 13, I think they're some of my favorites in all of the book of Psalms. Uh, because here's a question, and you might be like me. Uh, this might be a question that you have thought about. You've considered it before. Maybe you've even asked the Lord uh, the question that we find in verse 12. Here's the question. What shall I render? What shall I return unto the Lord? For all of his benefits to me. That's a good question, isn't it? Has God been good to you? I mean, has he redeemed you? What should you return? That's what this says. The return of the redeemed. What should I return to the Lord for all of his benefits? Well, what do we do when somebody does something for us? We're probably going to say thank you, aren't we? Might even pen a thank you note. Um, Maybe even do something nice for them in return, right? But here's where we need to be very careful and make sure that we're being biblical. Make sure that we respond how God says we're supposed to respond. Um, Because if we're not careful, if we respond just in our own human way of thinking, we can incorrectly turn God's amazing grace into a transaction. That's something Pastor John Piper calls a debtor's ethic. And um, I mean, there's actually... Even invitation songs that kind of promote this. I don't think intentionally, maybe trying to move people to respond to God's word. Um, Do you understand what happens when you turn God's deliverance of you, his goodness to you, 
All of his amazing grace to you. Everything he does for you. Do you understand what happens when you attempt to repay God for what he has done for us? You've just negated grace. Grace is unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. It was God's goodness at Christ's expense. It was not something you deserved. You, you've turned it into a business transaction. Well, you do this for me, so I'm going to work really hard trying to repay you. God, God does not give us this question and answer here with that word, repay. That's not what it says. That's not the concept that he's driving at here. It says, what shall I render or what shall I return to the Lord? That's what it says, right? And here's the amazing thing. God tells us here what he wants us to do, but it might shock us. Look at the answer in verse 13. I will take the cup of salvation and I'll call upon the name of the Lord. Do you understand what God is saying here? What he wants from you because of his goodness to you, the return that he wants from his redeemed, here's what God wants you to do in response to his deliverance, his redemption of you. He wants you to come to him for more. For more. Specifically more of Jesus. Do you know what the Hebrew word is that's translated salvation here? It's Yeshua. It's Yeshua. In Greek, Jesus. <laughs> I will take up the cup of Jesus. Um, more of Jesus. Now, I know that's so counterintuitive to us. So somebody does something nice for us, we say thank you, we write a thank you note, uh, but probably the last thing we would do in order to thank them, in order to honor them for what they've done to us, is go to them for more help. Again, uh, but that's exactly what God tells us to do here. You want to thank God for his goodness? You want to thank God for saving you? Then never stop, never stop, taking the cup of salvation and telling God I want more. I want you to picture like a little toddler who's got that sippy cup and they just drained it and they're still thirsty. And they come up to dad and they say, more. I want more. That's what God says here, that he wants us to do in response to what he's done for us. He wants us to ask for more of Jesus. Never going somewhere else for it. No, continuing our whole life long to call upon the name of the Lord. I like what Southern Baptist professor James Montgomery Boyce, uh, he wrote about this verse. It's the only way we can repay God. I wish he didn't use that word because that's not the concept here. But he said the only way we can repay God from whom everything comes, you can't give somebody something that already owns everything. The only way we can repay God from whom everything comes is by desiring and receiving even more from him. And again, let me remind you of Jesus singing this psalm, singing this verse right here at the Last Supper. It wouldn't be long after he sang that with his disciples. He'd head out to the Garden of Gethsemane, where in prayer to God the Father, Jesus would speak of a cup, wouldn't he? And in complete surrender to the Father's will, Jesus consented to drink it completely. Hours later, Jesus emptied that cup of pain and wrath, allowing God to hold out to you and I, a cup of salvation. A cup of salvation. Let's go to verse 14. Read that again. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. It says kind of the same thing in verses 18 and 19. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of thee. O Jerusalem, praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah is how it ends. There's a commitment here to worship the Lord uh, with praise and thanksgiving and to do so publicly, Right? 
in front of other people, God's people, it says. And I hope that's our testimony. We share a lot of prayer requests. If you look at the back of our bulletin, it's full of prayer requests. We share even more than that, and we should, because God wants them. That's the point in the first part of this psalm. And sometimes we pray for years and years, and then God finally answers our prayers one way or another according to his will. What then? Do we praise him? Do we do it like we should? Do we publicly tell others? As the example is here, hey, this is what God has done. Can I ask you this? Do we praise him in the same way that we prayed? If we've been praying for two years, do we praise him for two years or more when he answers that request? May we never be like those nine lepers who were delivered by Jesus after crying out for mercy, but who offered no thanksgiving or praise. They just went on their way after he did what he did for them. Instead, may we be like that one who just completely awestruck at his grace and mercy. He fell at his feet in amazement the rest of our lives, calling on him as long as we live. Now, I know I skipped over verses 15 and 16. Let's go back there. It says, um, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, truly I am thy servant. I am thy servant and the son of thine handmaid. Thou hast loosed my bonds. God wants us to know a comforting truth here. But what does he mean by telling us precious in his sight is the death of his saints? It's a precious thing. That's what God tells us here. Uh, he said in Psalm 72, 14, when, there, when his saints' blood is shed, he called it precious. This is the second time then in the Psalms that he said that. And the point is that when a believer dies, it's not a trivial thing to the Lord. Uh, in the Hebrew, the word translated precious means to carefully watch over, like to, to guard. It's a valuable, it's a concerning matter to the Lord when one of his children die. In a way that we cannot understand until we experience it, God especially, he, he's particularly close to his people when they near that time. Uh, they experience his presence, his, his grace in a dose uh, higher than normal. Charles Spurgeon said, Though death is a curse and an enemy, it's precious in the sight of the Lord also because for the Christian, it removes all the remaining barriers between us and the Lord. It's a doorway <laughs> to, to an eternity of perfect face-to-face -face relationship. That's why scripture comforts us that it's a gain. It's not a loss for that person. One of my favorite Puritan theologians the pastor and author named Richard Baxter lived in the late 1600s. He lay on his deathbed and his friends and his family came to see him in his final moments. And of course, they asked him, how you doing? He said, dear Mr. Baxter, how are you? And I love his answer to them. Some of his last words, he said, almost well. I'm almost well. And that's the truth. That's the reality for those who have been saved by God's grace to us in Jesus. That's the truth for those who have taken up the cup of salvation and who never fail to call on the name of the Lord. And if you suffer from chronic or even terminal illness, what a blessed and comforting truth is in verse 15. That, that we're closer and closer every day to Christ either calling us home to our reward or returning for us. We're closer and closer every day uh, to our cure to being healed forever, we're almost well. We're almost well. Verse 16, based on being loosed from the bonds of death and the grave, uh, the commitment here is I'm going to serve the Lord. And there's a family history that's referred to here. 
And what a grace and privilege it is if you have parents who love the Lord and know Jesus as Savior. Don't waste that gift of grace from God. Follow in their footsteps. Make that same commitment that they've made. And you can't help but read verse 16 and think of the mother of Jesus Christ. Um, when it says, the, the son of thine handmaid. When God communicated to her through the angel that she was being selected and she was being called to miraculously give birth to God's promised Messiah, what was her response? Behold, the handmaid of the Lord. And for each one of us here who've been delivered from the bondage of death by taking up the cup of salvation, we've asked Christ to be our Savior. We placed our faith in him alone. May that be our same response to anything and everything that his word asks of us. May, may we say, behold, the servant of the Lord, I'm here. Yes, Lord, I'll do what you say. I present myself to you as your servant, just as verse 16 says. And because of the redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ, um, may this be our prayer to God. I won't repay. I can't. <laughs> I cannot repay you for what you have done for me, but I will return what you've asked me to return here. I'm going to do what you've asked me to. I'm going to forever take up the cup of salvation. I'm going to say, I want more Jesus. I want more Jesus in my life. I want to be more like Jesus Christ. My whole life long, I will never fail to call upon the name of the Lord.